Hey, everybody, coming up, genealogy. Sounds a bit boring, doesn't it? Actually not. Cool stories, that's all it's about, that explain your messed up DNA. That's coming up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A new report made by outside investigators shows that the late coach Joe Paterno was right in the middle of covering up Jerry Sandusky's child sex abuse scandal. Former FBI Director Louis Free says the most powerful men at Penn State, President Graham Spanier, Vice President Gary Schultz, Athletic Director Tim Curley, and football coach Joe Paterno were planning to go to authorities with the report of Jerry Sandusky raping a boy in a shower in 2001. Then they changed their minds. After Mr. Curley consulted with Mr. Paterno, however, they changed the plan and decided not to make the report to the authorities. Free says he doesn't know what was said at the meeting, but the only logical conclusion is they decided to cover up the incident to protect the university against the consequences of bad publicity. Warren Levinson, State College, Pennsylvania. Top Democrats aren't asking for any more information about one congressman who has not been on Capitol Hill for weeks. A day after Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr.'s office said his prolonged absence is the result of being treated for a mood disorder, House Democratic Leader Nancy Pelosi wasn't pushing for more information. That statement should uh, uh, enable him to have the the care and time he needs to get well and uh, his constituents to know. The congressman's been away from the Capitol for more than a month, though Pelosi's noted he's missed only a dozen days when the House was in session. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. Newly released documents about the night George Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin are shedding more light on Zimmerman's injuries. Documents released by prosecutors show that officers who responded to the fatal shooting of Trayvon Martin disagreed about whether George Zimmerman had a broken nose. But officers did agree he had cuts on his head and one said he grunted from pain when he was in police headquarters. Zimmerman is charged with second-degree murder, and his injuries and their severity could play into his claim of self-defense. Tony Winton, Miami. Congressional officials don't normally agree across the floor, but when it comes to speaking out against the U.S. Olympic uniforms being made in China, they are united. House Speaker John Boehner clearly isn't happy the uniforms were made in China. You'd think they'd know better. The news also didn't sit well with Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. They should be wearing uniforms that are made in America. But the toughest words came from Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. The Olympic Committee should be ashamed of themselves. I think they should be embarrassed. I think they should take all the uniforms, put them in a big pile and burn them and start all over again. Reid noted there are plenty of domestic textile workers who would have loved to do the work. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your life coach, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this show every single day of the week to give you and your family the tools you need to to make it through this crazy thing we call life, the journey. 
And uh, today I think we've got a, a, a pretty interesting show for you. It was It's a show that I don't know that it, just inherently you'd say, oh, yeah, that is just fascinating. Until you get into it, okay? The word I'm going to use is genealogy. You ever heard of it? Uh, yes. It is uh, where you go um, look at rocks and you say—no. Uh, genealogy is the study of your ancestors, right? The study of where you came from, those people that have gone before you, where you learn about their stories, their history, you learn about their life, their death. And um, today we are going to be bringing on a genealogist, an expert, Ann Bradshaw, an author who's written a lot of stories about um, understanding your heritage, understanding where you come from. And why I love this idea is I'm just sitting there one day. This is kind of how simple I am. Watching a show on NBC, don't really, wasn't even really paying attention. And all of a sudden, there is um, Reba McIntyre, and she's going on this crazy journey about her great, great, great grandparents. And um, I really got into this show, and the show was called Who Do You Think You Are? And what they do is they go take famous people like uh, the um, the chef Paula Dean, who really gives everybody really unhealthy food, or uh, Rita Wilson, um, or Helen Hunt, or Edie De- Edie Falco, or Reba McIntyre, Ashley Judd, and they get these people and they go and they explore their heritage, their history, their grandparents, the the lives of of their families, where they came from, um, their heritage. And it was just fascinating. Now, we're into it because, oh, look at these famous people. But what was fascinating to me, just as somebody that loves to watch people, is the impact it had on these stars, these people, to finally find out what's go- where they came from, to find out where their roots were from. And uh, so I thought, you know what? I really want to get into that. I want to to stretch that out and figure out how in the world – we can um, get that on the show and, and make it work. So it reminded me of a story my dad once told me. Now, my dad got really into genealogy. Um, he uh, and his wife, um, they started studying my ancestors, where they came from. And he just got into it, found out that a lot of them had come from um, back in the Boston, Massachusetts kind of area, found out that back in Massachusetts there's a there's a cemetery for Townsend's. It's the Townsend Cemetery. And it's such a strange thing. And so he and his wife went on a little trip back to Massachusetts, found this little cemetery, entered the cemetery, and they they kind of start looking around. And as they're looking around, they kneel down in front of some tombstones, did some rubbings, and you, you rub on the tombstone with some chalk and some paper, and it's how you can kind of see what the names are on the tombstone. And as they were, they were reading the tombstone, saw the name Martin Lynn Townsend, which is his exact name. And then went around to other tombstones, Martin Lynn Townsend, Martin Townsend, Martin W. Townsend, all of these Martin Townsends, and the man about freaked out. He had found, I guess himself, he had found his own heritage, where his name had come from, and how weird it was so many years later, even centuries later, uh, he all of a sudden had a little bit of a connection to this history. 
it was a powerful moment for him, powerful moment for us as a family, started talking about it, giving us the insight. And so on today's show, we are going to get into that. We are going to take on our family heritage. We're going to help you honor your heritage. We're going to learn some keys, some tricks, and more importantly, we just want to tell you some stories. Because to me, I think the neatest thing about genealogy isn't the fact that we're doing it. I think it's the fact that um, what it does to us. There's something powerful when you sit in a circle with your family. And I remember growing up, we'd go to my grandparents' house. They'd be watching Lawrence Welk. It was every Sunday. The the champagne hour or whatever they called it, where the bubbles would come up on Lawrence Welk. But we'd all sit in a circle and we would hear grandma and grandpa tell stories about their parents, about their grandparents. And I just remember being a young little punk hearing these stories thinking, wow, they are some cool people. That is some good stuff. And I think it unified us as a family. That, I think, is the greatest benefit of genealogy or family um, history, putting together a family tree, are having these stories. And I think what a powerful thing to do with your kids, to start sharing who you are and uh, and giving each of you a sense of really what's most important from your heritage. Now, we all have different ways of remembering, right, and celebrating our ancestors. Here's Corinne Collins, one of our producers, talking about how she was taught to respect family members that have passed on. Collins home, respecting our family members that have passed away, is in some ways key to keeping peace in the land. I was named after my great-grandmother, and even though she died when my father was young, growing up I always had to refer to her as Grandma Esther, just as I had to call her husband, Grandpa Dado, and all of the other members of the family by their appropriate titles. I remember my dad clicking at me about it as a child, and even now as an adult, with the words, don't you mean grandma, or talk about them properly. And it always seems strange to me that my friends were able to call their aunts and uncles by their first names, and I wasn't allowed to. The reason this was the case didn't really solidify for me until Big Tone brought home a statue of a woman that apparently looked just like my great-grandmother Esther, and it was displayed on the mantelpiece of our home. In Jamaica, where my dad grew up, family was of the utmost importance, and just because your family weren't alive didn't mean that you couldn't respect and honor them. So, the statue of Grandma Esther still sits on our mantelpiece as a reminder of our history and heritage, And that's ultimately what my dad was trying to teach me. We had many, many conversations about our family history, and I'm in essence the collector of family stories, which I have gathered from grandparents, aunts, and uncles over the years. And the reason I like this is because it connects me to my heritage. As a first-generation British-born Jamaican who has never been to Jamaica, stories of my ancestors tie me to my cultural past and allow me to understand the challenges and changes my family had to endure in order to get to Britain so I could exist. As I hear about my grandfather's barbershop and my great-grandfather's farm, I am connected to an island that exists thousands of miles away from my home in England and my home in America. But as I think of those stories, I have parts of both of my islands of heritage with me. So, while I may not have entirely understood why Big Time was so zealous about me respecting the ancestors, I am now left with a rich cultural heritage that allows me to feel rooted no matter where I go. Good stuff. Corinne Collins... Uh, and thanks to Big Tone, who taught her that great lesson. A Big Tone is our, uh, our one of our great listeners from across the pond in England. And uh, seriously, it's just powerful what a simple lesson that a father handing down the respect of the ancestors can be. Uh, not just one person, but I think a lot of us. So appreciate that, Big Tone. You have a great daughter, and we appreciate you letting us borrow her here at uh, BYU Radio. Now, 
here's what we want to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back from the break, we are going to bring on our guest, Anne Bradshaw. Now, Anne has authored six books, and two of her books um, are deeply rooted in uh, genealogy, true miracles of genealogy. She's she's just got some great insights, some great stories. We really want to just simply get to the why. Why is it so powerful that we connect to our family, to our ancestors? It to me, in a world where gangs kind of abound, where war, where our cultures collide, maybe where we do uh, have some unity might simply be in the fact that we have a history and a heritage that uh, that is important to understand and that can tell us a lot about who we are now and where we're going in the future. We'll have a lot of that when we come back from the break, folks, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Future bridges, airplanes, and even spaceships may be made out of super strong, fiber-reinforced foam. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. A company based in Dayton, Ohio, called WebCore Technologies, has developed a lightweight, high-strength structural material that can be used in everything from wind turbine blades and truck bodies to rail car decks and even temporary runways. The technology is a fiber-reinforced foam core called Tycor. The foam is covered with fabric skins and stitched with reinforcing fibers, then filled with resin to make a super strong yet lightweight composite material. The U.S. Navy tested a composite Tycor door and found it to be stronger and half as heavy as some existing watertight doors. The cutting-edge composite material is being used in aircraft parts, bridges, and military shelters, and it could even be applied to spacecraft parts. The company is even exploring the possibility of replacing traditional manhole covers with fiber-reinforced covers that could better handle heavy vehicles. The technology was originally tested by NASA's Ballistic Impact Facility at Glenn Research Center. NASA was looking for a super-strong foam core material to encase aircraft engines and help prevent catastrophic aircraft damage in case of an engine failure. The fiber foam core material might be lightweight, but it acts like a heavyweight. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. There's an answer to every question, a solution to every problem. What place should the provision of education or health care occupy on the list of social and political priorities? Join a group of leading scholars and experts in the conversation about practical and constructive solutions to today's societal issues. BYU's weekly forum shares motivating and inspiring ideas on the present and future of our world today. Join us on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about honoring your heritage, uh, connecting to those that have gone before, really getting in a feel and a kind of a respect, a reverence maybe even, for your ancestors. And it's an interesting topic because when somebody brings up genealogy, that word in and of itself doesn't seem to just like make you go, yeah, except when you get into it and you get into the stories. It really is a funny word. And sometimes the vocabulary involved in learning about our families like the word genealogy, for example, can make learning curves seem pretty steep. One of our producers, Tom Brinton, takes a look at how kids interpret the terminology. 
Genealogy is... Is like um, studying the weather through a space camera and... Um, I have no idea what genealogy is. Hmm. <laughs> I don't really know. A big brush to comb your hair with? Genealogy is... Um, I don't really know, but um, here's my guess. Homework. If only these kids had had access to a computer, a quick uh, Google search would have revealed that genealogy comes from the Greek genea, meaning generation, and logos, meaning knowledge, the knowledge of generations. It's the study of families and the tracing of their lineages and history. These kids aren't really simpletons, though. When asked what family history means, they gave great answers. Um, family history is what your family members are and... Uh, and what they came from. My mom, my dad, is when you learn about your ancestors and um, how they lived and where they lived. Spot on with ancestors, too. An ancestor is someone, um, maybe like your mom's grandparents. Ancestor is an animal. An ancestor or forebear is a parent or the parent of a parent and so forth. Someone you are related to really back far ago. And they're all familiar with the more concrete example of building a family tree. A tree, pretty much, with that every branch comes out and is one of your family members. It doesn't always have to be a tree. A family tree is a loving tree. There's a cartload of definitions to make family history seem like a daunting task. But hey, if these kids can figure it out, maybe you've got a chance. So true. Yeah, isn't that interesting? What would you say? Family tree. It doesn't really have to be a tree. Good stuff, kids. And Tom, um, really good stuff. We're, we're talking about genealogy, family history ancestry, studying our ancestors. Uh, it's interesting now because there's this boom. It's, uh, there's a lot of organizations, Ancestry.com, other companies out there that are really trying to help people connect with their ancestors. And um, there's also a lot of books being written by that. We have an author, Anne Bradshaw, is with us today. And Anne is a native of Wales, grew up in Cheshire, England. She now lives in California with her husband. She is the author of six books, co-authored many more, and uh, also screenplays as well. Her most recent work is a book called True Miracles of Genealogy, uh, volume number two. Anne, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello. Well, excellent. How Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. Well, it's good to have you. Now, now, Anne, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I, I don't know if the you know the 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 rest of the world are as into genealogy as I know a lot of Utahns are. Uh, but <laughs> what's the draw? What do you think this is about? Is it, and, and do you have a sense that is it growing? Is this something that's getting more interesting to the world, or is it just kind of a local phenomenon? Oh, way, way um, interesting to all the world. I think 
it's increased incredibly ever since the the internet has taken off and all the wonderful technology we now have for exploring genealogy and for finding out things so much quicker and it's like as you mentioned ancestry.com it's wonderful the tools we have access to now when i began researching back in 1964 everything was so slow i'm just amazed that i got anywhere with it but yeah. now <laughs> you can do it in seconds sometimes it's, it's wonderful do you remember i mean i remember growing up when the movie roots came out and uh a a member of my na- a, a neighbor in my a person in my neighborhood and a member of this ch- the church I went to, he worked on the genealogy for the movie Roots. And it was, it was like majorly impactful and freeing and liberating for people to, to have this concept of where they had come from. Do you see that a lot when you're, when you're working with the people you work with and telling their stories? Definitely. I, I think there's a great sense of, of owing our lives, really, to these ancestors. I mean, if they hadn't come before us, we wouldn't be here. Um, so so they, we, they deserve our honor, I think, and people are, are sensing that. And plus, I think they also sense a great love that these ancestors have for us. And, and when you, there's so many people in the world that are lonely today right. because they either don't know where, who their families were or they've got split families or some problem with their family. When they start researching their roots and they find out that they actually do belong to a much larger family, um, and especially when they have some of these wonderful experiences that come when they, they actually know that ancestors must surely be helping them in some way to find the information because uh, some of the things that happened in the books that I've written are, are just too incredible to have happened any other way. Oh, neat. Now, how did you get into it, Anne? Because it's, as, a, as a writer, I guess you could write about a lot of things. What drew you to genealogy? I've always been interested in genealogy. Um, I actually joined the Church of Jesus Christ of the Holy Saints, the Mormons, back in the 60s, and I'd never heard of genealogy before then. Um, I, I'd always had a kind of a, a, a leaning towards family things. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was the only one in my family, well, I know I was the only one in my family, to actually send birthday presents and, and cards to my, my grandparents. Um, it just wasn't something that people seemed to do back then in my family. Um, but I had this feeling I, I needed to do that. So once I discovered what genealogy was and, and how amazing it was, it, I, I just was astounded. Oh, no. I just was, I loved it. I gobbled it up straight away and started researching. Um, and I think that as far as the books go, way back, I used to read um, a newspaper that came out, um, issued by the Mormon Church, and it was, came out in England with a, a piece on the back page called The Church News, and mm. often in there would be stories about family history research miracles, and I, those are my first thing that I read when I, when I really? received the paper. I love them. And I used to think, why doesn't someone put these together as a book? You know, these are, these are fantastic reading. And I didn't do anything about it, of course. I, I got married, had children, and you know how that goes. Yeah, I get carried like, away. Yeah, kind of busy. And um, then, lastly, the last few years, when I've been, once I've figured out how to write, and I'm still figuring that yeah, out. Of but course. Once I'd learnt the basics, and I thought, oh, why not? Why don't I write one of those books about those miracles? Because I, I think that people just need to hear them, you know? Well, they're, and they're so inspiring, and we don't have to reinvent the will in life. You know, the, what's, what I think is so neat about family history is. 
it's yours and, and it adds to your story. It, so by understanding about my grandparents or my parents or my great-great-grandparents, it, it becomes an identity for me. And, and in a neat way, you can choose, I mean, the healthy and the even not-so-healthy and use these stories to, to help direct you today, to heal you today, to give you a sense of who you are. Definitely. I, I think that's what it's all about, a sense of belonging, plus a great sense of curiosity. I think yeah. as humans, we, we're curious about people and about our families and our lives, and, and this is a great way to satisfy curiosity. Oh, I bet it is. And, 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 it's, and it's, not, it's not even as hard as people would think. They can go to sites like Ancestry. There's one that the LDS Church puts out called FamilySearch.org, and people right. can go there as well. And it's sometimes as simple as just putting in a name. Yep. And they'll just all of a sudden start handing you down a bunch of information and you can just, you know, put together a little um a little uh profile, I guess you call it, and you just start slowly piecing together your history. It's powerful. It is. It's and it's thrilling. It's exciting. What do you, now is your family into all of this and do, do your kids get into it or is this uh, is this in a weird way I've always wondered is this just something that older people do? <laughs> they, they get older, they get the time to do it. And I, not that you're older, Anne, but oh, yeah. it, it just seems like it's like as a young um, family, when I was raising my kids and we were young, I'm like, the idea of me trying to figure that out is so hard. But then I'd noticed that my grandparents would do it and my mother got really into it. And then they start handing these stories down. You know, it's not dif- as difficult as you think. It really isn't. You just have to plow in and get, the- get into it. I was in my 20s when I began, and that was in the difficult, as I mentioned before, in the times when it was difficult. So now it's, it's really much more straightforward. But I tell you, um, these these books are inspiring young people in their teens. Mm. I, I know a young man in our old ward where before we moved here, um, and I gave him a copy of, of both Volume 1 and Volume 2, and he kept coming to me Sunday after Sunday and explain, exclaiming as to how exciting these stories were and how oh, he himself had, has now started doing genealogy and getting into his family history and, and loving it. What, is, what are some of the stories you're finding? I mean, because they, they're, they're tr- there's miracles and, and they're inspiring, but what, what are some of the ones, and we'll, you know, we'll carry this through the next break as well, but what are some of the stories that have really moved you? I... I find it very difficult to pick out any from all the ones in the books because and all the ones that people have sent me on my website because um they're so different you know each one has a different twist to yeah. it things that you, you couldn't possibly imagine happening i mean i'm not talking about spooky stuff here it's very rare that people see spirits although sometimes they do but more mostly it's people who get their information come to them in such strange and unusual ways. Kind of like a prompting or an inspiration or something? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. I, I can actually read you a story or two if you like. Yeah, tell me. We've got a, about, about two minutes. Is that time for a quick story? Yeah, just start one. Okay. Um, I've got one here from a researcher in England whose name is Elizabeth Roberts. She's actually a teacher. And she says, this is what she says, For many years, I tried to find more information about my maternal fourth great-grandfather, William Gaze. His surname was often misspelled and hard to track down. After 40 years, I finally found his marriage to Mary Ann in the town of Stogumba in Somerset. Hmm. Unfortunately, since the period was before general registration, I found no information about William's father. William continued to baffle me. I couldn't find him on the censuses, and he wasn't living with his family. 
I'd heard he was in service as a butler, so tried to find suitable big houses that might have a record of him, to no avail. Two of his children's marriage certificates mentioned him. One said he was deceased. The other, earlier, marriage certificate didn't mention his death, so I surmised he died at some point between the two. Now, I have a habit of talking aloud to my ancestors at times. Of course, one-sided conversations are the norm. (laughs) William, I said one day, as I realized I'd run out of ideas and patience, I can't connect you to your parents if if I don't know where you were born. You must tell me where to find your record. Who were your parents? I was shocked to receive a sure and reasoned response in my mind. You find all my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and then I will tell you. I laughed at the spunk of this ancestor I'd grown to love. I thought about his request and began to imagine a man who loved his family. As I pieced it together, I realized how William must have felt. He didn't want any of his descendants left off the tree. I returned to my research and went through it with a fine tooth comb. Some had died without marriages or children, and some grandchildren had not been able to continue the line. Nevertheless, I found a few names that hadn't yet been included on the tree. Finally, satisfied I'd fulfilled my responsibility, I reported back to William. While at my computer one day, still searching for William's parents, I tried a new website of burials. I paid a modest fee and found an entry. Right place, the right name, William Gaze. Wow. With some confusion as to why it hadn't been listed elsewhere, I phoned the local registration office to speak to the staff to ask why he hadn't appeared on the general index. The worker found the entry, the first name in a small book, not included in the main national index. I waited with great anticipation for the certificate, which would give me more information. When it arrived, I found it to be an interesting death record. It was not his wife who had registered his death, but the housekeeper where he was a butler. Then I found his wife on another census. Then she goes on to tell how she falls down and finds tons of information now on William and his family. (laughs) Absolutely amazing, yes. And so she's convinced that he helped her. Absolutely. Well, and it's, oh, that's powerful. I mean, imagine that you can be prompted by your ancestors to find something out about them, which might help you find something out about you, which might help you find out something out out about your health. Or just anything, spiritual anything. Well, you know what? The funny thing was, she goes on to say about she decided to retire in Gloucestershire, which is exactly where this William lived, although she didn't know beforehand. Isn't that amazing? She felt drawn to this place, you know, part of her. (laughs) The spiritual side of genealogy as well. Well, um, we're going to come back. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back. We're going to hear more stories from Anne Bradshaw about the miracles of genealogy. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. This'll take a while. Sometimes it's better to take things slow. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Join Dean Duncan weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. Here on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. 
The NAACP convention roared with cheers for Vice President Joe Biden just a day after Mitt Romney gave an address which received mixed responses. The president sent a video greeting that called the nation's premier civil rights group family. I stand on your shoulders. And he sent his vice president. I believe this election will come down to character, conviction, and vision. And it will not surprise you, I don't think it's even a close call. Biden argued Mitt Romney aims to slash spending, taxes for the rich, and health care in ways that will harm black Americans, while Obama will defend their interests, including fighting voter ID laws he says are GOP voter suppression. Mark Smith at the White House. Despite reactions at the convention differing greatly for the Obama and Romney campaigns, both are putting out at least one similar message that the other candidate is a liar. The Obama team calls it a big lie that Mitt Romney left Bain Capital in 1999 when Deputy Campaign Chief Stephanie Cutter says filings show him running it three years later and overseeing outsourcing and layoffs. That's a real character and trust issue that the American people need to take very seriously. But Romney's campaign says it's Obama who lies when he claims the Republicans ship jobs abroad. When a president doesn't tell the truth, how can we trust him to lead? A new ad also recalls this Hillary Clinton moment from 08. Shame on you, Barack Obama. Mark Smith at the White House. The U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan is leaving his post with a positive message that he does not believe the country is headed for civil war after troops head home. Ryan Crocker says it's impossible to forecast the future in a volatile country like Afghanistan, but he doesn't think the nation is headed for civil war after coalition forces leave in 2014. The outgoing ambassador tells the Associated Press he also doesn't think the departure will prompt a steep economic slide. Crocker's retiring for health reasons later this month after a storied career overseas. Sagar Megani at the Pentagon. The Justice Department is making a bit of an example out of discriminatory lending practices at Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo Bank will pay at least $175 million to settle accusations that it discriminated against more than 34,000 African-American and Hispanic borrowers in violation of fair lending laws. Deputy Attorney General James Cole says it's meant to send a message. The department's action makes clear that we will hold financials financial institutions accountable, including some of the nation's largest, for lending discrimination. Wells Fargo denies the claims and says it's settling solely for the purpose of avoiding contested litigation. Jim Bell, Washington. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about honoring your heritage. We're uh, trying to define and give you a little bit of a taste of genealogy, where you go back into your past, you find the stories, even the good, the bad, and the ugly, about your family, and uh, and you change. You change yourself just by simply being able to um, connect to those that have gone before. We're bringing on Ann Bradshaw, who's an author and um, just a, a great researcher. Anne, are you with us still? Yes, I'm still here. Well, thank you for, again for being on the show with us and um, loved hearing your stories. What are some other stories that you've got about genealogy? Just some of the miracles that, uh, that people have been reporting about how they find their ancestors or what they're learning. 
I have one here from a gentleman called John Council, who lives in Australia. He's a, a business consultant, and he sent me several stories, actually, but um, and all fascinating. And this particular one, uh, he tells um, initially about his how his sister and his parents had been doing genealogy for a long while and got stuck on the council side of the family. Um, and his dad is actually dying in the beginning of, of his account, and his mother is there at his bedside, and so are the children. And she's saying to him, um, hey, when you get up there into the spirit world, be sure and be serious about what you can do to help us to progress this genealogy on your side of the family. Um, and then he dies, and the research goes on, and he starts to tell uh, of an account of when um, he was up on a mountain uh, in Hobart in, is that New Zealand or Australia? I think it might be New Zealand. Um, anyway, it was a snow-capped mountain, and he had this overwhelming impression that he, there was somebody he needed to meet on that mountain that was connected with genealogy. He had no idea who or what or where or why, but he just couldn't get rid of that feeling he needed to meet somebody. And he was with his, one of his young daughters. It mm. was it was a thing they often did, went up the mountains for a trip when they were there. Um, and so the day started off and it was cold and it was wet and there was a thick mist just covering the entire mountain. And they began to think, you know, oh, is it wise to go up there in these conditions? But they went anyway. They stopped everywhere on the way, every ranger hut, car park, lookout, whatever, um, got to the top, nobody around at all. And it was quite dangerous to move about because you couldn't really see where the edges were of the mountain. Um, They looked around the summit and they came back down again, stopping everywhere, nobody, nothing. So they were discouraged, and they thought, well, we'll head back to the town and get some lunch. And on the way down, they went past um, a place where a sudden gust of wind just flattened the shrubbery on, onto the opposite side of a T intersection. And you could, they could see this very old, dilapidated sign pointing south saying, shops, one mile. So I thought, okay, we'll go there. Maybe we can get some food and some souvenirs. Yeah. Um, and, but when they reached the one-mile mark, they found that, a large hotel or motel complex had replaced the shops, so the original old shop, so that sign was outdated. But they stopped anyway, and again, no one was there, (laughs) no one to serve them. So they waited a while, chose something to buy, and decided to leave the money on the side. Just as they were coming out of the door, an elderly chap entered the store, um, and uh, he held out the money for this guy. And for some unknown reason, John... It just popped out of his mouth to say to this gentleman, by the way, my name is John Council. Hmm. Well, as he said it, um, he hadn't expected to say it, yeah. but it was the strangest experience, and it had a startling impact on this whole guy. His mouth fell open, and, and then he said, well, isn't that interesting? My name is Viv Rogers. I'm the family historian for the Rogers clan in Tasmania, and oh. one of our four principal lines is the Council's. Oh, my heavens. Can you imagine? I can't. And so uh, they learned a ton of stuff from this old guy. It's incredibly fruitful. Torrents of names, dates, and relationships going right the way back to William Council, who was the personal advisor to William the Conqueror in England. Holy cow. See, oh, (laughs) that is amazing. Because that, that to me, is what it's about. It really is faith-promoting. They're exercising this faith to go find their ancestors. Yeah, and it's they're they're being called to it, and um, 
Oh, I love it. Because it, it, it's funny because we have this passion in our world today for all of this crime fighting. All of these people want to go solve crimes and they're loving these shows, Hawaii Five O and CSI and all of these shows. And really, what better way to do it than just trying to figure out your history? Yes, and have an exciting time whilst you yeah. do it. But I just have to add, though, that not everybody has these amazing no. experiences all the yeah, time. I'm sure. It kind of, the few and far between, and depends on how much genealogy research you're doing. If yeah. you're doing a ton every day, then you're going to get more of them. But most of us just get maybe two or three in a lifetime, yeah. if you're lucky. Well, and, and maybe what is potentially, I guess, more important than all these crazy ones is just the peace that you get when you feel connected and get to read a story of somebody. And you, maybe it's seeing your grandparents, your great-great-great-parents, grandparents, you hear a story about them that makes them relate to you or you relate to them like, oh, my heavens, they handled it exactly like I would have handled it. Yes, yes. Awesome. Or they can give an, an example of, how, you see how they handled it, yeah. and you can then Take follow example. their example. I love it. Now, we yeah. only have about one more minute, Anne. What, if you had to kind of sum it up for you, what, what does genealogy, what is, you know, all this family research, what has it done for you? It's given me so many spiritual highs, you wouldn't believe. It just deepens my faith. I think that's that's yeah. one thing. Faith in life after death, faith in families, faith in the love that exists in the whole of eternity for us all, you know, everybody. Yeah. It's powerful. It yeah. really is. Well, Anne, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your stories. Where, If people want to get a hold of you, if they want to share their stories of their genealogy work with you, where could they? Where do they get a hold of you? I have a website called truemiraclesofgenealogy.com. TrueMiraclesOfGenealogy.com. With genealogy. Oh, with genealogy. Okay. Dot com. It's the name of the book. And you want um, to hear their stories. You want them to write in their stories. Yes. If anybody wants to send me stories, I'm, I'm posting them on that website. I've, I've been out of action for a couple of months with Moving House, but I'll be getting back on there again very soon. And there's lots of super stuff for people to read already on there. Okay. Excellent. Anne Bradshaw, appreciate you. Go to TrueMiraclesWithGenealogy.com. Share and share with Anne your stories. And again, Anne, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. Keep, I've really enjoyed it. You bet. Keep writing and keep researching. That's the spirit of it, my friends. The the spirit of investigation, I guess. Put on your little uh, sleuth cap and get out there and start solving your history. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. NASA space technology finds a new use at the Vatican. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. The librarians at the Vatican in Rome play host to a home for a priceless collection of books and papers, some as old as 1,800 years. But it can't last forever on paper. That's why the library is busy digitizing their collection. But can you still read the 10-year-old floppy disk on your computer? When digital media formats go in and out of fashion in just a few years, what's a safe way to store these digitized antiquities long-term? NASA had the same kind of problem and created a data standard to keep digital information readable even over decades. Called the Flexible Image Transport System Format, or FITS, it was first developed in the 1970s to store radio telescope data. 
Fits is always backwards compatible, and it's open source, so it will always be free and available. The originals of the Vatican collection are so fragile, very few get to see or study them. By digitizing the collection into Fits, researchers worldwide can now read high-resolution copies that may very well last another 1,800 years and more. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with the latest news and research in pivotal societal issues. There has got to be a way that we reduce our dependency upon Middle Eastern oil. BYU's Wheatley Forum presents the research of leading scholars and experts in current social issues and events. Learn, explore, and discuss the world around us with the Wheatley Forum, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are going to do a little roundtable here. We only do this every once in a while because they restrict us from letting everybody talk because these people are crazy. Um, no, we, we have too much fun here. So what we wanted to do is uh, the, I've got a bunch of our producers here who all have great stories of their ancestors. And we're going to hear their craziness. Now, before we do, we have Miles Nielsen here. Now, Miles is a brand-new daddy. Now, he's made other shows. The Morning Show did a bit about you having a baby, Miles. Yeah. Not you, personally. <laughs> my wife. beautiful wife. <laughs> yeah, my wife. She had something to do with it. That would be crazy. Um, but fill us in, because you have this beautiful baby boy that you named James. Yes. Why James? Um, that was the number one choice on the internet. So is that <laughs> you just no? We um, I like James. Well, James. Ever since the my family, the Nielsens, have came into America, um, the one it started off with Jens from Denmark, yeah. uh, and he had a boy named James. But my grandpa was named Nils, and then Nils named my great grandpa James, and then he named his son Earl, and then Earl named my dad James. My dad had a son named James, but he, but I got to name my son James. So it, 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 there's been a James for seven generations, but it skips every generation who gets James. So you, now, what if his name was Cloyd? My great grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> then what would you have done? I I, uh, I wouldn't be here right now. You so, probably yeah, because he probably would wouldn't have gotten you. married. So so there's you're using a little. Uh, you're honoring your heritage. Yeah. yeah. No, I have a question. So when you got married, was this like a thing you told your wife? Like, hey, will you marry me? The, by the way, there's this one condition. So like, the firstborn has to be named James. Yes. Yeah, so when the, like the day after we went official, we had this talk and I told her and she agreed with it. So, so it was a it's step true before story. you went like Facebook official. Like we're going to change our relationship yeah. status on Facebook. <laughs> it was, first, I got to tell you about this. It was the thing. day after we went Facebook official. And then I told her. And when she said, okay, I knew she was the one. So, oh, you knew she loved you. Yeah. Even yeah. with the name Cloyd. See, I got a story about that too, um, about having my our first child. I'm married. My wife's name is Anna. And I was talking with her when we were dating and I said, by the way – there's a big tradition in my family <laughs> because my grandfather's name is Juan Luis de los Sagrados Corazones Mijares Serna. Oh, excellent. My dad's name is Juan Pablo Mijares and my name is Juan Carlos Mijares. So, How come you guys – you don't have like seven names? 
Well, my grandpa he does. Did. I know. Why my grandpa you? does, but what was your problem? I was a poor little five year old kid in kindergarten, <laughs> okay. and there was no way I was gonna. I couldn't you even get what? through my name. I you I went by JC. But anyway, I told him because all the first names there, if you notice, were Juan, right? Yeah. So logically, what you got should a name my like Juan. first? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so that's the condition. And she's. Uh, did she go with, with Juan or John? Did she want to Anglicanize it or whatever? No. Well, I don't know. We we haven't talked about that. I want it full Mexican. It's got to be I Juan. Like the Juan. It's got to be because John just doesn't. Plus, it flows better, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I can make it a you know. Did you just give him three name, first name, middle name, last name? That's what we're going to do, probably. Okay, throw yeah, in a couple not... more. Well, Matt, yeah, why not? Matthew, Let's Mateo, do it. Mateo, Juan Mateo, Juan Mateo. I kind of like that. One. The other that. one I wanted was Rafael. Oh, that's a great. Oh, one. I like awesome. that Plus, that's awesome. a great restaurant. It can't get any better <laughs> in Utah, Rafael's. Can't get any better. So it's interesting. You've got to sell your wives on your genealogy before you can be having babies. Let me tell you, that, that's the biggest decision that we had to make. The decision to get married wasn't that. That was the know, easy like, one. We knew, yeah, this is going to work. But the name, we're still fighting about. Well, now what's funny because so some of our genealogy stories, it sounds like okay, naming our babies and stuff. Some of our genealogy, some of you have just really destructive family members, like Coco. Corinne Collins with Coco. She's our she's our almost BBC broadcaster. <laughs> but Coco's got a story about near death. Yeah. So my grandpa, he, I mean, he fancied himself as a handyman and he wasn't really, I don't think he was really that good at it. But <laughs> I mean, I was young, so who knows? Um, so he, he made himself, he, he made it into the paper one day because he was stripping some paint with a paraffin wax paint stripper. I don't know if you have those here. Or, I don't think we have them he, in, in England anymore. They're probably anymore. too destructive. I mean, I think after this experience, they probably were discontinued. <laughs> um, so, he's, so it's like this paraffin tank and there's some sort of flame involved. Anyway, so he's holding it in his hand, stripping this paint and it Explodes, um, and lifts the whole roof off the house. Oh my! So it, the, <laughs> oh the roof like lifts up and then falls back down. I don't oh really understand geez. how that works. Where was that? England? Yeah, in England. But I don't. Not, aren't they attached? Like, how does you that think even so? Happen? Well, not yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Your your so dad like, had a spring loaded or a. Uh, <laughs> Like one on a hinge. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, it sounds like shoddy worksmanship to me. But so, he, I mean, he was lucky that he didn't die. Obviously, I mean, and nothing actually happened to him at all. Um, he just his eyebrows were just singed. <laughs> this is your gene pool. Yeah, I mean, see, that means you got to be. This, this is this is what's neat about genealogy is you learn about. What your potential is. You too, Coco, could blow the roof off your Well, house. see, this is why I chose to do English because, you know, I'd rather have no practical skills. That's right. No one's like, going to die with English. Yeah, no one's going to be hurt. That's awesome. Who else has got one? I got one yeah. like that. So my great uh, great grandpa, he had dynamite. He was trying to, the house is already built. And they went down and they were trying to dig out a little bit of the basement for it. <laughs> dynamite. And he put yeah. dynamite in it. And it exploded and it lifted the floor off, but it didn't lift anywhere else. Oh my! So, <laughs> yeah. so your grandpa blew the floor up, and your and Coco's grandpa blew the roof off. Yeah, but fun. my grandpa's was with dynamite, so yeah. I think that's better. That makes more sense than paraffin <laughs> wax or a paraffin stripper. Well, as long Gosh. as we're on the theme of dangerous ancestors, <laughs> I can fill one in too. Juan. So this wasn't really—he wasn't dangerous. It's kind of what happened to him, but. He, um, this was my ancestor who came from Spain and he immigrated to Mexico and he had a very successful cattle business. And so he was driving the cattle along the, the dusty trails of Mexico yes. one day and these bandidos come up to him <laughs> and, like, and they want to rob him, they take all his cows him. and take all his money and everything. They come to kill you. And, so, and he was a very devout Catholic and so he said a prayer to uh, Maria yeah. you know, and it worked and they left him alone. He promised that if – 
they left him alone and that if he was able to escape, you know, unharmed, that he would go back to Spain and build a shrine to for her. Maria. For Maria. And that's exactly what he did. Did he really? And a few years later when he had the opportunity, he went back to Spain where he lived the rest of his life. But How he built this cool. shrine up in the mountains of Spain, and I have pictures of it. And How everything. cool is he? Cool I thought story. you were going to say that he promised that he'd name all of his children Juan. <laughs> well, that, that may not have been written in the journals because maybe his wife didn't approve. But you went back know. and took pictures of this uh, this the shrine. shrine. Uh-huh. How neat is that? See, yeah. that is a cool story. Anybody have stories like that make you proud? Grandma, great, 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 great grandma, great, 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 great grandpa, making you proud. Robert. My uh, great grandfather bought a portable gas station once. <laughs> okay, now entrepreneurship. The, these didn't. These didn't catch on. No, unfortunately, gas but he had a great idea. Well, it wasn't his idea. Some traveling salesman who had built this thing yeah. was coming down the road and says, "Hey, I trade you your uh, property. You own a." stories right of some useless place like Las Vegas, Nevada or something. I don't know. And he goes, yeah, this property's never going to be worth anything. So he traded it for this. It was oh, great. Yeah. You could drive out in the middle of, de- of the desert where people run out of sure. gas and be their hero. And you could be camped there in this camper in the middle of the night. You'd have a little window where you could take the money, <laughs> a little switch by your feet that you could flip over. Flip your gas pump on. Turn the pump on. Let them pump their gas. Turn Didn't it, it off smell your like feet. gas all night? You don't even have to get out of bed. <laughs> Did your grandfather smoke? Well, this is my great-grandfather. No, Because if he smoked he in bed, that would be a bad thing. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like, did he buy, like, a bunch of band equipment, too? Isn't there a play about, uh, oh, the music man? No. Where he no, just no, no. That, that, was, that, was the, that was the guy who sold it to him. Oh, he's the guy that he moved on. He was the uh, customer. Oh, my heavens. That's got to make you proud, Robbie. That's Absolutely. why you're so into worrying about gas prices and transportation. Yeah, see, back then it was service. The gas came to you. Yeah, it now, came to you. Now, I have to go to it, and it costs like 10 or 20 times as much. It's, plus, it costs you gas to get there. Absolutely. So <laughs> Excellent. Oh, man, you had some crazy family. What else? Who else has got one? Benjamin, you got one? Mine is just more on... You have to be careful, I guess, when learning about your heritage to make sure to uh, get proper sources. Yeah, you want your sourcing right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, you know, I'm from originally from the South. I grew up in the South. A big part of being a Southerner and learning your Southern heritage is learning about the Civil War, uh, etc. So I had my phase, of course, when I was a kid, where I was really interested in learning about the Civil War, stuff like that. So uh, one day we're driving. I lived out in the middle of nowhere. We're driving through this field, and there's this. Uh, kind of like bunker, like natural bunkers, little hills built. I'm with my dad, and he starts telling me this really intricate story about this great big Civil War battle that happened in this field by our house. And he went into all the details, troop movements, uh, what what caliber shells they had in the arts. I mean, Everything. incredible detail. And I'm just – I'm like 10 years old and just absolutely – engrossed in this story so for the next like six or seven years every time we drive by this field i've got friends in the car with me and i tell them this story you know there was a civil war battle that yeah. happened right My here dad right by our died. house <laughs> this, this it go into all the detail about what happened uh, everything and um so one day years and years later I'm, I'm this is probably 10 when this happened i mean when i'm 16 or 17 we're driving through the whole family my dad's in the car and i'm my mom has been in the car when I've told people this story. So she starts mentioning something about it, and my dad says, what are you talking about? And I said, no, no, you remember when, you know, way back when you told me the story about this, and General What's-His-Face, and 
you know, how important this battle was. And he goes, oh, I was just messing with you. And so <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the moral, uh, I guess, was when you're, yeah, when you're learning about your heritage, be sure to. You weren't uh, even born in the South. Your family wasn't even from the South. Yeah, I was going to say, aren't no, you from California? Yeah, they were from California. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as far as I know, maybe they're not even really from the South. So they're anyway, not even from the United sourcing. States. Sourcing. It's like j- rules of journalism. It's get, journalism. Get your, get your know sources. your source. Yeah, Have right. a good source. Um, isn't that and your dad sad? Your dad messed you over. That explains a lot. Well, no, I just, I, I, and I, by the way, I never went back and told all those, you know, fives yeah. of people that I told well, that story. Yeah. Never told them. Exa- that is... Never told them that it wasn't true. And for so. all you parents out there, don't <laughs> mess your children up that way. They've got, they're going to get beat up. Anybody else got a story? Skylar, you got one. You want to go there? You're afraid. We understand. You can't. Um, Come on, family, family. I was told that uh, I was related to somebody who signed the Declaration of Independence. It's kind of really? like Ben's. Yeah, his name's Carter Braxton. And um, and just like Ben, I went my whole life, you know, in school. Thank I raised my sure. hand in elementary yeah. school saying I, I, was, <laughs> I was related to oh, this yeah, guy right I'm related here. to that guy. And then uh, I took a family history class um, at oh, school no. here. And so they were like, does anybody have any cool ancestors? And so I looked it up and I searched probably, you know, probably like 30 minutes, which is long for me yeah, to sit there. Yeah, for sure. And... Uh, he wasn't related to me. Oh, broke my man. heart. <laughs> Did he have a portable or a, a portable gas station that could drive to? Well, this was back in you know oh, whenever they seventeen seventy six. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. I'm sorry. Uh, this okay. actually reminds me. I once had to take a family history class, and uh, I went way back one day. I just tried to see how far back I could go in the family tree because a lot of it had already been done. Yeah. So I go back and back and back, and I find out that you know, forty generations ago or whatever, I was related to like Henry the Third. Or something, or Henry wow. VII, one of the kings of England. I can't remember which. So I get really excited, thinking, "Cool, this is cool." Coco I'm like, shaking royalty. her head. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> from England. I know. <laughs> so, well, well, that's the point. So I got really excited about it, and then uh, a week later, I found out that half the class had found out they were related to him. They're all VII. related. So it all, you know, it, it when didn't you're back, matter. you're like, "Oh, I'm related to such and such." Really, we're all related. I guess Whatever. if you go back far enough. So see, now you just want to be related to someone cool like LeBron James. <laughs> hey, back to James. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be related to LeBron. At Why? All. He's a great player. I whatever team he's playing for, I go for the you opposite. You go against team. it. But yeah. he's a James. Well, what about when know. he's playing on Team USA? Well, go Canada. Are you not patriotic? <laughs> yeah, are you rooting you rooting go for the Canada. Dominican Republic? <laughs> you guys, come yeah. on. He's related to King Henry VII. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you did great. I must say, I'm impressed. You have some pretty good genes. I do really think, though, Juan, you need a longer name. You need about I, seven. I'm going to do names. it. I will talk after the show because okay. I Miguel, Rafael, you know, Rafael, there's a whole list. Rafael. Oh, you're using Rafael. We'll uh-huh. figure it out. We'll figure it out. Well, thanks for joining us, boys and girls. Coco, thanks. Thanks, Big Tone, over the pond in England. Our listener from uh, the great. Um, well, we just love Coco. And uh, we want to thank all of you for listening. Again, we are here to help you uh, improve your crazy battle in this crazy thing we call life. And we're always here Monday through Friday. You can get a hold of us if you want to give us some information. Ask us to cover a topic. We'd love to do it. Go to mattchat at byu.edu, and we will uh, we'll take your advice and uh, follow your story for you. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow and hope you'll enjoy us or be with us as well. Thanks for listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. 
Today's Thinking Aloud originally aired earlier this year. The following is a production of BYU Broadcasting in cooperation with the Brigham Young University Division of Continuing Education. It's not unheard of for one academic to marry another. It's also not uncommon for two such married scholars to have children. But it is unusual for two academics to marry and have a conspicuously large family while both continue to work productively at their university posts, teaching, writing, 